the whole gang is back together. We're back. Back. In the saddle. Back in action. Back mm-hmm. to the future. Yeah. Back knee, which I have right now. Back, back in black. to life. Back to reality. It's kind of literally back to the future for Emily because she lived one day twice. Yes, True. I lived Monday twice. I'm very tired. That's exciting. No, it's Monday. It was Monday. It was not a good day. <laughs> Did you at least get to sleep through one of the Mondays? Um, I slept a little bit. Um, I took a Xanax and made myself sleep a little bit, but it was not comfy sleep. So, but I did my best. Well, well, today's Wednesday. Here we are. It's Wednesday. Wednesday, my dudes. This is Book Squad Goals. It's Wednesday, but it's Monday when we're publishing the podcast and who knows what day you're actually going to listen to it. So it's also like time travel again. Time is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Who knows how many Mondays in a yeah. row this is for us so, when you hear it. I have an intro question. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of time travel, uh, is there – do you guys have a specific plant that you associate with your childhood? Yes. Yes. Okay, Emily. Go first. Honeysuckle. Mm, Reminds me of childhood. Um, yes. We had a whole bunch of honeysuckle in our backyard, and we would eat it. Uh, we did not hallucinate off of it or anything. Bummer. But Bummer. <laughs> we would eat honeysuckle, and honeysuckle has a very um, distinct smell, as you know. So mm-hmm. um, smells connect to memories more than any other senses, and so honeysuckle reminds me of my backyard growing up. Your backyard in uh, Athens? Yeah. In Athens. But by my pool. <laughs> Can you imagine if children hallucinated off of something like that? That would be a wild thing to see. I would have been hallucinating so much because that was like one of my favorite things to do is go like lick the honeysuckles. Yeah, like mm-hmm. pick them, the little flowers, and like <laughs> suck it yep, from like that the bottom. one drop that you get. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Um, I have a similar one. Okay. This is Kelly again. Um, I grew up in Miami a little bit, um, for like the first five years of my life. And one of my most distinct memories of Miami is, uh, the smell of gardenias. Mm. We had, which to this day remains one of my very favorite Mm. scents, but we had a big gardenia bush right outside of my house and they were like all over our neighborhood and everything. And my mom used to cut cut the flowers off and then she would like float them in a bowl of water <laughs> as like decoration throughout the house. Nice. That's so 90s. I know. And so my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's mine. I love gardenias too. I love gardenias. So good. That's not I have a different one though. Mine doesn't really smell. Um this is Susan. Uh mine's a dogwood tree. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one in my backyard and I loved climbing trees and that was like the only one that I could climb that my mom wouldn't like stop me because <laughs> it was so low <laughs> to the ground. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, they, they bloom in the spring and they're really pretty. And I grew up on Dogwood Road also. So I've just like always had this affinity for dogwood. the dogwood. Aww. And um, I have a dogwood tree in one of my tattoos. Here. Cool. Oh, I didn't know that. I was going to say dogwood because we had dogwood trees in front of our house when I was growing up. But I think 
more significant, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, who died when I was a lot younger, um, she used to have a mulberry tree mm. in her yard. I guess that's not uh, like a flower per se. But it's plant. It's a plant. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> mulberries would grow on this tree. And we would go pick them and eat them. And they would like stain your hands this blood red. Ooh. And was, I just have like very distinct memories of picking mulberries off that tree. They were also delicious. And I've never seen a mulberry like for sale somewhere. I was about to say, I don't think I've ever even tasted a mulberry. What do they taste like? I mean, they're like of the berry family that's like really sweet you know they kind of look like blackberries but they're sort of like purpley red but they have they look like they are like have little balls all over on like black blackberries kind of do but they're i remember they were really sweet if they were soft and ripe but if you got one that wasn't ripe enough tart much like blackberries yeah I like a good tart blackberry, just saying. Me too. I like the this more sour mm-hmm. berries. Like with blueberries, I like to pick the really small ones because those are nice and mm-hmm. tart. When they get big, it's too sweet. And it's, mm. <laughs> those tight little... Yeah, I like them tight <laughs> and young. <laughs> tight, <laughs> tight and little. Um, Alternate question, which plant is the sexiest? No, what's well, not. <laughs> Which berry? <laughs> um, okay, eggplant. That's not a berry. Is it a berry? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Which berry besides eggplant would you say is the sexiest berry? I'm gonna cry. <laughs> um. Anyway, the reason that I asked this question is because this week we are talking about the book Fruit of the Drunken Tree. By Ingrid Rojas Contreras. Mm. Um, I have a Goodreads summary here, as per usual. Oh my gosh. It's a pretty Please. long one, so strap in, kids. Oh, all right. Um, okay. In the vein of Isabel Allende and Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a mesmerizing debut set against the backdrop of the devastating violence of 1990s Colombia about a sheltered young girl and a teenage maid who strike an unlikely friendship that threatens to undo them both. The Santiago family lives in a gated community in Bogota, safe from the political upheaval terrorizing the country. Seven-year-old Chula and her sister, Cassandra, enjoy carefree lives thanks to this protective bubble, but the threat of kidnappings, car bombs, and assassinations hover just outside the neighborhood walls, where the godlike drug lord Pablo Escobar continues to elude authorities and capture the attention of the nation. When their mother hires Petrona, a live-in maid from the city's guerrilla-occupied slum, Shula makes it her mission to understand Petrona's mysterious ways. But Petrona's unusual behavior belies more than shyness. She is a young woman crumbling under the burden of providing for her family as the riptide of first love pulls her in the opposite direction. As both girls' families scramble to maintain stability amidst the rapidly escalating conflict, Petrona and Shula find themselves entangled in a web of secrecy that will force both of them to choose between sacrifice and betrayal. Inspired by the author's own life and told through the alternating perspectives of the willful Chula and the achingly hopeful Patrona, Fruit of the Drunken Tree c- contrasts two very different but inextricable coming-of-age stories in lush prose. Rojas Contreras sheds light 
on the impossible choices women are forced to make in the face of violence and the unexpected connections that can blossom out of desperation. Mm. So, I think that was a decent Goodreads summary. It was. Yeah, it is. Um, Good job, Goodreads, or whoever wrote this. Yeah, I don't know. We I feel like every time we are like, who writes these? And then we never find out. If someone knows, let us yeah, know. Because we're clearly not going to look it up. I refuse <laughs> to look up anything. That's the same summary podcast. that was on Amazon. So I don't know. I think it's the book jacket summary. So- sometimes, but then other times the summary on Goodreads is totally different. Oh, yeah. On yeah. The book. I think this so one's it's been like way worse, but we still read that this- one. <laughs> Yeah, we ref- we are beholden to Goodreads for some reason. Goodreads. I wish. I wish. Yeah, they we really should be. Yeah, we talk about Goodreads a lot. We do, we do. Um, but often it's not in a positive way. We disparagingly so. talk about. Goodreads. If anyone has some connections uh, okay. at Goodreads, it's like if you'd be willing to do an email introduction. We might start saying nice things if they paid us. We'll go back and edit out all this stuff we've said about. Yeah. Pay us <laughs> all of it. Yeah, pay us, and we'll stop talking Give shit about maybe your company. Um, Payola, <laughs> money, money please. please. Oh, I think about that every time. <laughs> money please. Money please. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway. Okay. Um, here I am talking again. And just so you know, we're about to spoil the book, so please do not keep listening if you haven't read it, and you're going to get mad if we spoil it, okay? Uh, so my first little discussion point that I wanted to talk about, because we always love to talk about genre on this oh, yeah. podcast. Um, so this book is technically historical fiction. Um, at least it is categorized as such on you guessed it. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask how you guys felt about the use of historical events here and the repercussions they have on the main characters, Chula, Patrona, and Cassandra. Um, and I, this might be a good time to mention um, there's an article from NPR, but it's also uh, talked about in the back of the book. There's a little section from the author that this book is based on a real life experience that she almost had where um, her sister and her were potential victims of a kidnapping and these, you know, gorillas were, like, on the phone with her mom being like, we know where your kids go to school, like, we know where, where they are. And luckily they were able to evade capture, but she basically... Like, they evaded capture because of the maid in their house who was very similar to Patrona and was kind of the inspiration for Patrona um, in this story. And that maid also, like, kind of sacrificed herself in a way to save the kids. So, anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. Mm-hmm. But what do you guys think? Who among us feels like a historical fiction expert? I- not I. I mean, I'm not an... I'm definitely not an expert. I I feel like I read a lot of historical fiction. This feels different to me than like the ones I typically read because it's like there there were big events that took place in the book that are real. Mm-hmm. I guess the ones I usually read have fictionalized versions of historical characters as the main characters. Right. Um, 
rather than like historical events happening around mm-hmm. fictional characters. Yes. That like it's more in the backdrop here and it's not like the historical events aren't the main focus. I mean, a lot of right. the events that are important to the plot happen because of what's happening historically. But none of them actually happened yeah. in real life. Well, I mean, like the the political stuff happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, okay. All of everything. <laughs> For a second, I was like, wait, did <laughs> No, everything historically. But right. I mean, like, I, the, the major events, like, the major events of the story didn't happen. Like, this, this yeah. kidnapping did not happen like this. It makes me wonder, especially if it's based on a, a real life experience from her. And I read that NPR article, too. Like, I wonder kind of why she, she didn't write a memoir instead. Well, it kind of made me, again, like, think about... Ow. Oh, I have a weird cramp. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it made me think about, uh, crap. Hang on. That cramp like made me lose my train of thought. House of the Spirits. That's what I'm trying to think of. So the, the Isabella Ande book, House of the Spirits, um, is like this. It's based on biographical things that happened to her. Um, Mary, you read that book too. Oh, never mind. Cut <laughs> Man, that out. Now I'm realizing I totally pronounced her name wrong. It's fine. Hope you're not listening, Dr. Allen. Um, <laughs> uh, I I taught the book in World Lit class, so like I've I've read it I read it carefully, you know. But um, it's also similarly like based on things that happened to her, but uh, a lot of like liberties are taken. And I don't know, like I think sometimes, especially when you're dealing with traumatic experiences. Um, which I know like, was part of the reason Isabel Allende wrote about it the way she did. Like sometimes it's easier to deal with those things in fiction than it is to like deal with them in nonfiction. Like, especially when you can, you know, change things, <laughs> you can change aspects of it um, and have, I don't know, you have more freedom to explore it. And I, like um, referencing this NPR article, she does talk about how she wants to protect uh, the maid's privacy, like, cause they ask her about like what happened to the real life Patrona. And so I wonder if that's part of it too. Um, it seemed like her main like driver for fictionalizing it was so that she could imagine an ending to that Mm -hmm. real person's story because she doesn't know what happened to her. Or how her life turned out. Well, she out. says she does know what happened, but she doesn't want to talk about it. But she it. also says she hasn't spoken to her. Oh, wow. Well, she says that she hasn't spoken to her, but the maid called her parents and told her parents everything that happened. To her after after she, like, sacrificed herself. Right. I read it as in, like, after that, she does yeah. not know, like, in general how this person's life is today. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, this is what she says in the interview. She said, just, "Just to clarify, just, for just to listeners. clarify, so that you guys don't have to feel like you have to go read the whole interview." Um, they <laughs> ask her what happened to the. Re- but we will include a what happened to the real life Patrona. She says, "I do know, but I do want to respect her privacy. I will say that she did suffer personal consequences for what she didn't do. I haven't talked to her since it happened. She called my family." a few months after the events took place and she told my mother everything. She told my mother what she had gone through and we did everything that we could for her at the time. So there you go. Here's, here's a question I have. Yes, ma'am. 
my question is, how are we defining historical fiction, thinking about genre? Like, would we say Little Fires Everywhere is historical fiction? No, because it doesn't have any historical events in it. But stuff happens to set it in a time period. Yeah, but there's nothing historic. Like, what historical happens in it? It's not like they talk about uh, Watergate or anything. I just, like, when I think historical fiction, I think of historicized like fictionalized events and characters that are significant to history. Chula, Cassandra, and Patrona are not real and not significant in history. And it's not like yeah. they knew Pablo Escobar. You don't know. Maybe they did. They did. <laughs> you don't know them? I mean, it's like <laughs> the political events set the tone for the, like the climate at the time. Maybe, uh, what's his face? Uh, 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 Gary, Garyon or whatever. Maybe he knew Pablo Escobar. Yeah, I don't know, but like they didn't say that. I'm just saying. I'm just, but maybe. Yeah, just saying. I get, I get what you're saying, Mary. That's kind of what I was trying to get at too. Is like, it just seems like a time and place backdrop more than it does like, like I wouldn't if I read it. I don't think I'd categorize it that way. I would have just called it fiction. I mean, like the political stuff is essential to the novel. Yeah, I mean, everything that happens in this book is a result of the political backdrop. So, like, even if, like, these characters aren't real, like, the things that are happening are super real. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, news reports and, like, newspapers with specific headlines that actually happened and, like, quotes from people that were actually said. And things like that. And, like, those things are directly... Where, like, Little Fires Everywhere is kind of, like, the 90s is more of a setting. I mean, I just use that as an example, but, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I said 70s because I was thinking about her other book. My bad. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I mean, I genuinely don't read a lot of historical fiction. I was just... I'm thinking about, like... And this is dumb, maybe. But when I was a kid... There was this series of books called, like, The Royal Diaries or something. And it was like, <laughs> I'm Cleopatra, and this is my diary. Yo, I think I read some of those. Right. I'm... I definitely read The Secret Diary of Marie Antoinette yeah, or yeah, whatever, like, I'm Marie so... Antoinette, and this is my diary. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that, to me, is historical fiction. It's not real. It is based on history. You but mean it's... Marie Antoinette didn't write a diary that got published? <laughs> in the 90s? In English? <laughs> um, I, Marketed to I children? Should, right. I should say that <laughs> when I say I read a lot of historical fiction, it is in a very narrow category. I read a lot of... Yeah, I read a lot of <laughs> Tudor's Tudor fiction. England. <laughs> yes, girl. Historical fiction. Yes, girl. <laughs> Philippa Gregory, all the way, other Boleyn yeah. girl, holla um, at me. um, James Marker, who I interviewed last year on the podcast, all of his books are categorized as historical fiction, and they kind of function the way that this book does, where it's like in a real setting in a specific time, but the characters themselves are not historical figures or something. Um, Right. This is. I I agree. I think like being. Like, well, how do we define it? No, I'm curious, too, because like I said, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have, because I always think of it as, like, 
historical character. You always think of it as specifically England. <laughs> I think that can be part of it, but I think it it just like it has, it has to, to be, be Anne Like I was saying earlier, it has to be um it, like historical events have to yeah. be central to the storyline to me because I mean, I think there's a lot of like quote-unquote historical fiction depending on how you define it that for instance, like there's a lot of World War II historical fiction that isn't like about Hitler, but <laughs> it's about like people in concentration camps. Um, and I, I would consider that historical fiction because it's like based on, you know, a historical event, even though the characters and the right. things happening to them aren't real. Like, um, uh, what's the name of that book? That's really the book thief. The book thief. I think that's historical fiction. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, I think maybe part of my resistance, too, is, like, this is the 90s. I was alive in the yes. 90s. So I'm like, that can't be historical. <laughs> yeah. I was And, alive. like, where was Anne Boleyn? <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. Dead. So it's, not it's historical not fiction. This, I'm just not sure how to read it. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is also that, like, when we think of the 90s, we think of, like, the 90s in the United States where it's, like, Little like, fires everywhere. 90s. Wasn't it, yes, which is like yeah. obviously there's always like times of uh you know political upheaval happening, but like for Colombia specifically, this is like a huge, huge yeah. deal. And like I've seen part of season one of Narcos. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> I me know. Too. I see like two episodes. Of that. <laughs> Um, I have not watched any of Narcos. Guys, look at this. Oh look at this God. cat. Oh She's God. hugging chair the mother. chair. She's so cute. <laughs> I can't like, believe I'm she done. actually <laughs> lays like that. Everyone update. C's chair is safe for it's the safe. time. She's, Thank you She's for your straddling signatures. it right now. Thank you for your support. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. She's just limply laying on top of it, hugging it. Emily. I need you to get an Instagram pic. Oh, I've got plenty of pics of her doing this, but get one right now while we're recording. It's okay. Important. I saw Fig getting up there to get cozy. Look at look at how close they're like a foot apart. I don't know if Penelope realizes he's there. <laughs> All right, I got it. She's I will like, send that must be you. a pillow. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, baby boy. Are you want me to pay attention okay. to you too? Hi, baby. I'm gonna move on. Is it about cats? Yes. From historical okay. fiction and cats. I'm just um, going to keep leaning this way so, so you can see the sea. Thank you. You're welcome. That's fine. <laughs> um, she looks time like she and structure <laughs> is another thing that I want to talk about here. Uh, okay, yes. Structure, time. Your cat I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. Okay, I'm ready. Do I need to hide the cat? <laughs> I can't. Um. No, she's cracking me up. All right. I'm sorry, Kelly. Go ahead, Kelly. I got the giggles. <laughs> I don't have a cat, so this is really amusing to me. Yeah, cats are pretty <laughs> hilarious. All right, go ahead. Uh, this novel uses a framing device, which starts us in the present, though I'm not totally sure what year the present is. I think I like, read that she she's 15 in the present. Yeah. Right? So I just don't know. Is this like, is it like mid-2000s? I guess so. Or something? I would guess so. Um... Anyway, but it starts there only for a couple of pages and then takes us back in time and then returns to the present again, like the events that lead up to that present, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then apart from that, the story is also divided into sections 
uh, many of which are told from Chula's perspective and some of which are told from Petrona's perspective. Um, and it's a lot more of Chula's perspective and then every once in a while we'll get a Patrona chapter. It took a while for Patrona and to be introduced as a narrator. I felt like like the first time we got one of her sections, I was like, oh, we're doing this. And then I thought, like, did I miss yeah. the section where she narrated earlier? Like, did I not notice? Yeah. It was weird. Like, I think it's established that Chula is our main narrator. Yeah. Because she her and her chapters get titles to them. And then Patrona's chapters always just say Patrona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this structure is also playing a lot with time because Patrona's sections are usually kind of like filling in the blank of what was going on with Patrona during Chula's section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys how this worked for you. It definitely worked well for me. I think once I figured out what was going yeah. on and how Patrona was filling in sort of holes we didn't know about. I admittedly was reading a chunk of this while I had the flu <laughs> and I had a fever. That must have been trippy. And so this is so dumb and I feel stupid, but I legitimately was reading for a while and I was like, wait, are there two names? Oh my god. <laughs> it was like it was like Patrona's first chapter. I was like, Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like the first time she came in as a narrator, I was a little confused just because I felt like it was so deep into the book at that point that I was like, I wasn't prepared. But I now that I've like read it, I see why it was that way. Yeah, I think I think it works well not only because of time, but because Patrona's life at home is so different from the Santiago's, and I think not only having Chula see where Patrona lives, but seeing how Patrona experiences her home in the first person Mm -hmm. is really important. Like for Chula and Cassandra, Patrona is such a figure of mystery for a lot of the novel. And they spend a lot of time wondering about her and sort of like fantasizing (laughs) what her life is like outside of living with them and working with for them and so like having chapters where Patrona is directly narrating is really important because it makes her not so mysterious for the reader and we see like oh she's just a a teenager and she is also really confused about what's happening in her life well it also kind of puts into perspective like I don't know however difficult Chula's family feels like their situation is like Patronas is like always worse. A a lot significantly <laughs> worse. So but I mean yeah. like I think it works to like we have we kinda get settled into like Chula's life. Um mm-hmm. and and like see how things are kind of like scary and dangerous, even from like their more like well off area of of where they live. I f- I'm sorry, I forgot the name of their city for a second. Bogota. Yeah. Um but how even, like, for them, like, there's still, like, some danger and some fear. Um, and we get settled into that. And then when we finally get to go home with um, Patrona, we're like, oh, no, it can be a lot worse. And, like, Patrona's, like, talking about how she doesn't even want to mention to her family about, like, how she has her own room and a bathroom at the house because, like, they only have an outhouse. Um, I think it uh, it makes her sections 
um, all the more uh, surprising for us as a reader when we have to wait a little bit longer to mm-hmm. see what it's like for her. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. We kind of, I mean, we really need her first person perspective because like child Chula has no way to see mm-hmm. any of that. And like, and I, I like that it's mostly told through her limited, like seven year old view and not from present day view mm-hmm. because I like it in the way that I liked room being told by the child Mm -hmm. where like we see the bigger picture and it's like, Oh my God. But you're just getting it from the understanding of a young girl, Mm -hmm. which I think was really effective, but means you also need Patrona to fill in what the heck is going on in the not rich places. Yeah. Yeah, Like that scene where they run into Patrona and her friend and her friend has like, monopoly money or whatever i was like i really i really yeah. need patrona's section to pop up now so like i know what they're doing because like <laughs> I'm, i don't know enough about whatever history i guess to like guess like oh what are they doing with that money you know i mean so related to that sort of like child perspective that we're getting um i want to talk about violence and trauma, because I think that a lot of this book is about the effects of violence and the kind of trauma that that can cause on children specifically. Um, and I like we're technically getting this story from Chula when she's 15, but like the perspective of her childhood, we kind of get in the moment. It feels very urgent and as though she's telling it like she's remembering exactly the way that she felt at that mm-hmm. time. Um, and I guess, like, this is actually really similar to what Susan was just saying, that, um, like, how does the perspective of a child shift the way that we experience the violence as we're reading about it? Wow, I didn't even read that question before. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny, because you led directly into it. Well, I'll just keep talking about it, then, I guess. Um, Keep talking. I thought, in particular, one scene where this worked really well, one violent scene where this worked really well, was during Golan's assassination. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, she was like (laughs) almost lost (laughs) before it even happened, like Mm -hmm. potentially in a situation where you could get trampled and like, you feel like you're seeing it from the ground Mm -hmm. and a bunch of people are standing in front of you, which is how I always feel when I'm at a concert because I'm short, but like, (laughs) I really felt like grounded in place, like a child trying to see, you know, bits and pieces of what's going on. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really effective, like, I don't know if I'm saying much about your question about violence, though, but well, it also makes um, me think of uh, that it's a scene a little bit earlier when she sees like the leg of that little girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. And it's like the moment it's sort of like this moment where she realizes like, oh, like, I could die, like, kids my age can die, you know, because I think as a child, you don't, you, you kind of like, know, abstractly that people die, but you don't think about it happening to like, children like you. Um, And then like, there's the whole, (laughs) I just thought it like, I thought it was so funny how her mom's like, Oh, you know, and it's your time, it's your time. And she's like, cool, let's go look at that, like, 
place then. And she's like, no, you don't, you, you could get hurt. And she's like, well, if it's my time, it's my time. That's what you said, you know? But, like, it's just interesting, like, that, first of all, that, that, that they would show that on television. Oh, yeah, the, the, the amount of violence that they describe being shown on TV yeah. and in newspapers, I'm like, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> um, the way that that was described, too, it was like, it said, like, her shoe or her leg wasn't with her yeah her foot wasn't with her leg or something like yeah. the it was really childlike wording of that and you're like oh my god that's a fucking like a body part yeah like <laughs> and it, it's sort of mirrored yeah. and i'm sure that this was done on purpose like there's another section where she's talking about their barbie dolls and how they're like torn apart and all like and it's sort of like mirrored that. Well, in the interview, uh, the NPR, the NPR interview, um, uh, the author mentions is talking about that Barbie doll scene and kind of how basically the Barbie dolls are all t- torn apart because her sister is chewing on them while they're watching all of these horrible, violent yeah. news reports yeah. out of anxiety, basically just chewing apart these Barbie dolls. And then all these Barbie dolls have like missing limbs and while they're playing with them, they decide to interpret that as these Barbie dolls are soldiers. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> so they're playing with – and, like, just these, like, violent fantasies that, that yeah. they're having as kids because that's the environment they're raised in. And I think also just there are so many effective moments like the moment with the shoe where, like – as a kid, I remember there were certain things that would happen that would just stick with me and that I would obsess over, these small images that I couldn't get out of my head. And I think we see that with Chula a lot, that in these moments of violence, there will be one part of what happens that just sticks with her, like the shoe or like, you know, when her grandmother has these like, like spikes of a cactus like sticking out of her skin or like just these like really visceral images that are forever burned into her brain mm-hmm. because kids are so easily affected by things like this. And so I just thought this was a really interesting, you know, exploration of, because I've, I've read about kids experiencing violence, like domestic violence and violence within a home, but I've never really read a story. And I guess I haven't read a lot of historical fiction to be fair, but I've never really read a story about, what it's like to be surrounded by war as a small child and from a child's perspective. Interestingly, there are like a couple of instances where an adult says that a child's being traumatized and they use the word traumatized like yeah. directly. Like one is after the assassination and she, the, her mom won't let her go to the funeral because she's traumatized. She's like, no, what? I'm right. going. <laughs> no, you're traumatized. Yeah. And <laughs> she her mom and and her parents try to send her to the psychologist at school. Oh yeah. And she she really doesn't want to go. She's so like she I have learns. to stop crying so that they don't take yeah. me to the psychologist. Yeah. yeah, her takeaway from this experience is she's like I need to pretend that nothing is wrong so that I don't have to go to the psychologist. Yeah, and after the grandmother and her cousins are kind of in the crossfire event um yeah and the grandmother is is really the one who's probably the most traumatized <laughs> and is yeah. crying her that the aunt is like stop you're traumatizing the kids <laughs> yeah. it's like oh they're already Meanwhile, they're the already traumatized. Were, 
they're <laughs> yeah. It's so sad when they go to visit them after it all happens, and there's like an airplane that flies overhead outside, and the kids like get on the ground and like hide in the corner or something. Yeah. It's just like sad. I mean, I but got yeah, traumatized I this- at school at school as a child by a kid throwing up on me. And it yeah. led to a lifelong, a very intense phobia of puking. <laughs> and that yeah. is the thing that I blocked out. Like, didn't even remember it. I would have not made it if I had gunfire yeah. <laughs> around. Like, <laughs> you would not be talking to me today. I got traumatized by puke. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Which makes no sense. But, yeah, if I got shot at, mm-mm. I would have shut down a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. I think it's... It's significant that it is told from, like, the child Chula point of view. And I, I mean, this is kind of, like, echoing what you guys have been saying, because I agree. So, you know, shocker. But, <laughs> you um, agree with us? <laughs> but I think, you know, like, Chula as a child can't fully understand the whys of everything that's happening. Because she doesn't have the life experience yet. Like, as adults, we're often desensitized to violence. I mean, I, I can't think of how many movies I've seen where people have gotten, like, blown apart. And even though it's not real, it's very realistic looking. And I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. I'm seeing this person's guts. Mm-hmm. And even when I've seen violence, like, on news programs, I still just kind of feel like, well, this is fine. Like, there's some distance to it. But Chula, partially because she's living so close to it, and partially because she's a child and doesn't completely understand yet, it's, like, it's really striking when she does encounter violence, especially through the news. Like, the shoe, the scene, the foot, and the leg dismembered from a body sticks with her through the whole novel. And she thinks of it repeatedly. And she also kind of, this is something I was thinking about, she sort of, like, hangs on to other things during times of great violence. So I'm thinking, like... I don't know, like two-thirds of the way through the book, there's a bomb that goes off in their neighborhood, and the window in Chula's room blows out, and she gets cut. And she keeps thinking the whole time while her mom's like, we've got to get in here to this other room, and we've got to get your cuts washed out. Chula's thinking, are the cows outside okay? Totally relatable. Are the cows okay? I mean, and part of that is like, you know, oh, it's her home. And, uh, you know, like, she truly wonders about the cows. But part of it is I think we're, like, seeing Chula get desensitized a little bit. Like, as the novel goes on, she goes from, like, being horrified at seeing a leg on TV, which is horrifying. But she goes from, like, seeing something on TV and being removed from it to having like her own window blow out and she's like right next to this danger and she's like but what about the cows though yeah i think part of that too is the um tendency to fixate on a small thing when a big thing is happening to for sure distract yourself i think um but yeah i do think she like becomes desensitized to a certain extent throughout 
I mean, I was worried about the cows as well. Yeah. Those poor cows. I liked her mom was like, they're fine. They're just out there. Yeah. They were, and they were fine. I was expecting the cows to die, but no. They lived. They lived all the way through to the end. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Chula and Patrona are, have a relationship, a friendship, sort of. Um, I felt like the descriptions of the book really built up the relationship that was going to exist between them. Like, it all of it's like the the friendship, unlikely friendship between these two people, blah, blah, blah. And then it seemed a lot different. It wasn't what I expected when I read it. Um, and uh, But I did think that it was interesting because I felt like Chula kind of creates this relationship mm-hmm. with Patrona in her mind that doesn't really exist the way that she imagines it does. Yes. I 100%. think a lot of it is Patrona's like, cool, thanks for not telling your mom about my boyfriend. You're all right. And Chula takes this to be like, we have a secret together. That means we're best friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> which is a very childlike way of of establishing a relationship, which I appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it was realistic. But also, like... I don't know. She also, you know, conspires to get you kidnapped. So how good of friends are you? Yeah. I don't know. But then she backs down. (laughs) Yeah. But like, okay. So this is a question I had. Uh, The narrator seems to make a big deal of the fact that like she backs down and like helps her escape. But like you wouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. If it wasn't for her. Right. So like... How much are we thankful for Patrona and how much... I mean, I, I get why why it happened from Patrona's perspective, but from Chula's perspective, it's like, uh, yeah, she still she still had you kidnapped, even though you escaped, like, she helped you escape. She still, like, had you kidnapped. Well, I think like, this is we... indicative of Chula's distorted <laughs> thinking. <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely I mean thick, I guess she's still I, 15 when she's narrating this so you know yeah uh. but I think I think a lot of her per, her perspective has been warped by guilt that she feels too yeah because she doesn't know what happens to Patrona after this and she hears that you know like bad things have happened she has no idea where Patrona is they go to her house and try to find her she's not there the whole village has been burned down and she feels responsible for this. So then in her mind, like, it's her fault. And she can't really think about the fact that any of this could have been Patrona's fault. Or, like, Patrona, you know, she she can't think past the idea that it's her, that her own fault, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is how, I guess, like, survivor's guilt works. I guess technically it's all Ramon's fault. Yeah, fuck you, Ramon. <laughs> okay, this Stupid is... Stupid 12-year-old boy. This is really insensitive of me, and I know that Ramon dying was really sad, but anytime they talked about Ramon, I kept thinking about that episode of Catfish, where that woman's like, my daughter's a liar? What about Ramon? Did anyone else see that one? <laughs> Mary? I have yes. never seen an episode of Catfish, so... We're gonna find a clip of her saying that and share it with y'all. <laughs> It was always kind of funny to me because they always said, little Ramon. What about Ramon? That's what I thought every single time. Oh, my God. 
Sorry, I'm like, I'm super distracted because there are dogs straight up fighting outside oh, no. my window. You can hear them? This happens oh. so often because everyone in this neighborhood has a dog, which is fine, but none of them will keep their dogs inside. They're like backyard dogs or neighborhood roaming dogs. Oh, to be in the South. I just don't know why you would want to have a dog and then let it roam around the neighborhood by itself. I don't know, but I have a neighbor who does that. And it Isn't that like to lose my illegal, kind of? Why don't, why don't people get animals and not take care of them? That's something that always drives me crazy. Just like any kind of animal. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes me so mad. Don't get an animal if you're not going to take it. When you, when you Public have a pet. Yes. Coming at you. When you have a pet. When you... listen here no this is serious all right when you have a pet you have made a promise to that animal that you are going to take care of him or her for the rest of his or her life not until they're older and not as cute anymore not until you're bored but forever you have a baby yes you have a pet that is your baby you have promised yourself to that pet you don't get to just let it outside because you don't want to deal with it or just give it up because you're bored of it. Like that pet has feelings. That pet suffers from traumas and stuff like that when you don't take care of him. It will or be her. traumatized. Yes. What about we've talked about children and trauma. What about pets you're and trauma? Okay. No, but for real. Just like stop. Stop is- doing it. I realize it sounds like I'm living in a post-apocalyptic Wild West saying, like, roaming dogs are fighting outside the window. I mean, you are in Hattiesburg. (laughs) Here we are. She's just in a regular old neighborhood. Ah, Hattiesburg. What's up? Anyway. (laughs) Chula's, Chula's relationship with Patrona felt a lot to me at least in the beginning like a young girl who there's like a family friend that's older an older girl and she's like oh i wonder what it's like to be a teenager yeah like your mm-hmm. babysitter yeah. yeah like like yeah exactly yeah. like a babysitter like what what's her life like yeah i mean like that's what i can relate it to because this there's this girl that babysat us like one time and i thought she was super super cool mm-hmm. she lived in our neighborhood and whenever i saw her i was like that's my friend Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty sure she was like Who's this okay. kid? There's like yeah, there's that kid. I don't remember her name. Aww. Actually her name <laughs> it wasn't just Sarah, it was Sarah Nell. <laughs> and I remember that. Oh my god, that's <laughs> and I so cool. was around this person for maybe a total of thirty minutes. Amazing. <laughs> to an hour and a half. That's I'm just like <laughs> that's something I think especially a lot of young girls do. Because we're, like, kind of taught to build our identities at a super young age. And so when you see, like, a slightly older girl, you're like, oh, I wonder, like, what parts of her do I want to use to build my... Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Yeah. This is something I think girls do a lot. And that's what their relationship seems like to begin with. Chula was, like, Patrona's older and, like, she has a secret boyfriend. And this is really cool. And then later she's like, oh, no, it's bad. <laughs> but by that point, you're getting kidnapped. So, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's too late. You've been kidnapped at this point. Uh, yeah. I just thought it was interesting that, like, th- you know, 
I was expecting it to be one way and it was not like that. But I'm glad that it wasn't because it probably wouldn't have been as realistic to have two kids of like such different ages and with such different lives being like besties. Yeah. So it felt appropriate. I mean, Patrona definitely cared about Chula. Yeah. But it was more like a, I have helped raise you to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think she also like, and she mentions that Chula reminds her of her own little sister. Yeah. And she thought about Chula when they were apart. Yeah. And it seems, I mean, thinking about like the way that Chula seems to Patrona, it seems like she is kind of like a lovable little weirdo she's like a kind of like a space case little kid who is like always saying weird shit and like (laughs) everyone knows one of those kids or has babysat one of those kids or was that kid or was that kid i was that kid well the last thing that i have on here is about womanhood and i was kind of inspired by the last paragraph of the goodreads summary um, which says that the book sheds light on the impossible choices women are often forced to make in the face of violence. Um, women are front and center in the story, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to think about the ideas this novel presents about womanhood, including the feministas and machistas, which is kind of interesting in contrast with super extra ground. <laughs> Hate it that <laughs> Um, but I have a section. Zero stars. From this <laughs> zero stars, I have a section um, early on in the book. Uh, so I'm just gonna read it. Okay. Papa had strange rules about hair and how long it should be. Mama said it was all part of a sordid belief system known as machismo. Mama and Papa, w- Mama said Papa was a machista. On the other hand, Mama, Cassandra, and I were feministas, meaning. If I wanted to have short hair, Mama would let me and Cassandra would like it. As feministas, Mama said we had to choose our battles. With your father, only fight the really important battles, which are profession, love, money, and the right to go out in the world unhindered by him. Hair is not an important battle. So. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting because, and I think, I think. In general, Alma, who is the mother here, is uh, like a a character who is kind of like equal parts, like this super feminine, like traditionally feminine woman who loves to like dress up and wear lipstick. And but she also is kind of like put in these really, really difficult situations where she has to make these crazy choices and protect her daughters at all costs and is also in this, like, relationship with her husband where they're very in love, but she's also potentially cheating on him and he's potentially cheating on her and all these, like, complicated dynamics of adult relationships that we're seeing from the eyes of kids. Um, but I just, Long I think Long-distance relationships like, do not work. That's what I have to <laughs> yeah. say. Like, mm-mm. I don't blame either of them. Me neither. But um, I think just, like, there's a lot of different women in this book and all of them are kind of like suffering and being forced into these like really really difficult situations um i don't know like what did you guys think about the women in this book and the way that womanhood is 
It's kind of interesting that quote that you pulled out uh, yeah. sheds light on the impossible choices women are often forced to make in the face of violence. And I was like, that could be written about girls burn brighter. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like this seems to be a, a theme that we're Speaking picking up on. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> like it seems to be a theme in a lot of the books we're choosing is like uh, women and violence. I don't know if I don't. I don't know if that's like just a theme in literature in general or if it's just like the books we're gravitating towards. But, I think we just gravitate um, towards books about women. So then anytime that's true. there's a book about violence, it's also about women. <laughs> <laughs> With the violence. Look, that's true. Um, um, sorry, that wasn't a very insightful I answer. Mean, but. Why not? It's, I'm, I'm interested in Alma. Because she seems like a pretty crappy mom (laughs) for a chunk of the novel. But I think, you know, like, it's true that she is also trying to navigate this hostile environment. And she also may be traumatized. I mean, she also, like, doesn't know the right answer or if there is a right answer. And she's doing... Most of it on her own. Yeah, I was about to say, she's having to take care of everything in the house by herself for the most part um, without her husband. Like, she's got this teenage girl helping her, but for the most part, she's, like, doing it on her own without her husband there helping her. Yeah. Um, Also, I just want to point out that I think it's hilarious that her political interest in Galan is just totally based on her wanting to phone him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I don't know anything about politics, but I'm paying attention because, whoo, hello. Look at him. Look at And his she hair. makes no secret of that either. Like, she's <laughs> no. got his posters up in her bedroom. And then, and, yeah, then when, and then when their dad comes home, she, like, takes the posters down. <laughs> um, she, how old is she? Do we know? I got the impression that she's pretty young. That's what I thought, too. Because we also learned that she grew up in poverty um this and so she kind of like one of the reasons she hires patrona it talks about in the beginning of the book is that she's always picking these women who are like these young girls who to be their their maids because she wants to employ people who remind her of herself when she was young and give them an opportunity to like get out of that situation but then she's like super picky about the people that she has in the house and if they don't like follow the exact like rules and expectations that she has she fires them and then finds someone new and expects them she wants someone who, but then going to like yeah if 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 that's like if she's hiring people that she relates to then isn't that sort of her like kind of like being hard on herself or like taking shit out on herself in a way yeah like yeah. having having high expectations for herself and therefore having high expectations for these girls who come into her house yeah i don't know she I can relate to that a little bit, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At one point, like, later in the novel, she has a pretty straightforward and kind of, I don't know, mildly progressive-sounding conversation with um, Petrona about sex and love and getting out of your stuck. And it was a little confusing, at least in the audio, because <laughs> I was like, what is she saying exactly? But um, do you guys know what part I'm talking about? Or am I just like, yeah. Is that like when she's getting her ready for her communion and everything? Communion, yeah. Let me see if I can um, find that. But she talks about lust 
And it sounded like she was saying, like, oh, yeah, if you're just feeling lusty, like, take care of that yourself. And. Yeah. Which, it was a weird talk. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a weird pre-communion talk. <laughs> yeah. I had a first communion, too, as a person who grew up Catholic, and no one talked to me about masturbating before. It was a thing I definitely <laughs> did not experience. But, um, I mean... I guess that's not super um, groundbreaking for, like, the 90s, but it does a lot of the gender roles in this novel feel, like, earlier than that to me. So Mm -hmm. I was, like, kind of surprised to hear her, like, just, like, talk about it so openly and straightforward with a teenager. I would love you to read it. Yeah, we're all waiting. Yeah. (laughs) None of us bothered to look it up, so go ahead and read Any it. day now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When a boy is interested, always make sure you are the one to remain in power. Men will want to take power from you. That's who they are. But don't allow it. That's who you are. She said, When you are in love, you are in lust. And if you are in lust, satisfy yourself and walk away. Never do anything for his sake, not until you are sure he is committed. Then and only then can you be nice to him. But be careful. Don't give yourself entirely. Never owe anybody anything, least of all the man you are with. That's how you'll remain in power. So I think she's saying, um, if you're in lust, fuck him. And then... Ditch him. Like, discard him. Yeah. <laughs> Got like, it. I think she's I saying satisfy just, yourself and interpreted that yeah. as yes, you don't actually need him there. You know, feel yourself a little bit mm-hmm. and yeah. see what's up. Yeah, no, I don't think she's saying that. No, I think she's saying like get a girl <laughs> and then get on with your I life. Still I still think it. this is an interesting conversation about womanhood, though. <laughs> Whether it's about masturbating or not. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think Alma is very of the mindset that, like, you should use your feminine powers to your advantage, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I yeah. think – because, like, we see her a lot, you know, getting all dolled up and going – like, when they have this water crisis and there's a drought and she goes to the grocery store and goes and, like – you know, bats her eyelashes a little bit and secures them some extra water. Mm-hmm. Or, like, she'll get, she gets extra things or, you know, uses her good looks because it's, it's said multiple times that she's very beautiful. And she kind of uses this to get her way. But she's like, I have no shame about that. And it's kind of a thing where in the neighborhood people gossip about her and they say that she slept with people to get where she is. And the only reason that she's in this big house because she grew up poor is that she just, like, fucked a bunch of people and found her way to a rich husband, and now here she is. And she's like, fuck you. (laughs) And also, if she did, so fine. So what? Yeah. Yeah. She's literally, she's basically, like, none your Mm -hmm. business. She's like, what, you jealous? She's like, if I want to take a guy home with me tonight, it's none of your business. (laughs) None of your business. That's her theme song. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I think she's an interesting example of a woman in this novel. Um, And we also have, you know, like, 
talking about the difficult situations that women get into. Patrona, mm-hmm. you know, you know, lets a guy romance her, and then after she realizes that he's not a good person, it's too late. And then she doesn't really have a choice as to what happens. The wildest part of this book to me is that is at the end when we sort of find out what happened to Patrona after the attempted kidnapping. And I mean, I guess I'll just say what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything. she gets yeah. gang raped mm-hmm. and drugged and beaten and left for dead in a ditch, basically. Somebody finds her, takes her in. She has amnesia. Finds out she's pregnant. Uh, remembers vaguely where she's from. And when she goes back, the trash boyfriend who is responsible for all this, for her getting beaten and raped and like all of this, is like, oh yeah, I'm your husband. It's, well, he first he first comes up to her and he's like, oh, my God, thank God you're OK. And she's like, you know who I am? Because she doesn't know who he is. And he's like, oh, uh, I'm your boyfriend. And she's and it, he like looks at her stomach, realizes she's pregnant. She's like, is it yours? And he's like, yeah, you were already pregnant when you got mugged because that's what happened. And also, we, we actually are married. I said I was your boyfriend. <laughs> But, JK, I'm not used to saying boyfriend yet, or saying husband yet, but, like, I'm your husband, and we're married. (laughs) And she is, can't remember, but then she ends up slowly regaining her memories and doesn't tell him that she remembers everything that happened and is just living this, like, life as a lie married to this man with this child who she knows isn't his but who he still thinks that she thinks is his. <laughs> and it's like, and and he still thinks that she thinks he had nothing to do with any of this. And it's just like so fucked up. It's wild. Yeah. To me, the wildest part of this book, though, was when Chula got thrown in the trunk of a car. I was like, shit just got really real. Because like up until this point, it's kind of like the violence in the book has been circulating and in the background. And then all of a sudden it's right there. And in we kind face. of got, yeah, we kind of got close to it with, you know, the window breaking in the bomb and also the sh- the assassination happening. But the main part where the violence is really like all of a sudden right there is when she gets literally kidnapped, thrown in the trunk of a car. She's, like, in this trunk. And you're like, what is going to happen? <laughs> Even though you know that she survives, obviously, because of the beginning of the book. But, damn. There were some moments in here where I was really frightened for these small children. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh... Do you guys have anything else that you want to say about this book before we give our ratings? Oh, oh, why do you think it's called Fruit of the Drunken Tree? The, the Drunken Tree. 
in the backyard. They have a tree in their backyard that causes Yeah, but like, why is that the name of the book? I thought it was going to like think, factor in more. I think maybe it's kind of a metaphor in a way for what Patrona does mm-hmm. with her, you know, taking this romance, which is intoxicating, but poisonous you know mm-hmm. and and she literally eats the fruit of the drunken tree at one point yeah but then kind of like her situation with her boyfriend and the consequences of that are also i guess could be a metaphor right yeah sounds good i believe it 100 percent. yeah i'm in cool because i just came up Let's with go that with it great job i believe thank it. you we're gonna go with it let's rate this thing hmm Okay, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I, I just finished reading. I'll be real with you. I just finished reading this. Same. Um, so I feel that feeling of like I'm kind of like high on this book and I want to give it a five because I really, really loved it. But I'm like maybe after I think about it for a few days, I would give it a four. So I'm going to kind of like think about it before I rate it. But – I don't know. I really um, thought it was beautifully written and everything worked for me on an emotional level, on a structural level. Um, I just really like, I really, really liked it a lot. I loved it, dare I say. I will say I gave it a three out of five. I wish I could do like a half like a three and a half. I liked it. I did enjoy it. And there are parts of it I really enjoyed. And I particularly think there are passages in it that are beautifully written. And I really enjoyed the writing. But there was something missing for me and I can't put my finger on when it was. That's fair. But I liked it. I'm going to go next because I basically have the same review as Mary. I'm just going to say, like, yep, what Mary said, yeah. that's how I felt. This uh, is, like, honestly. Oh, I was just going to say, this is also, like, extremely my shit, I should say. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I also want to say, like, I'm kind of in a mood right now where I'm having a really hard time getting into books. Like, the past couple of things I've read, like, I've struggled to get through it. I haven't read very much this year at all. I don't know what's going on with me. But, like, I read this, and I was like, objectively speaking, this is a really great book. Like, I like everything about it. There's nothing about it that, like, is bothering me. Um, And y'all know, I will let you know if something's bothering me. (laughs) Like, everything... Everything was working, but just, like, I was just having a hard time getting... Like, I wasn't excited about picking it up and reading it. It felt more like a, all right, well, I have to finish this. Um, But again, like, a lot of that's just my mood, so I don't know. Like, I feel like this might... I might go back and change this to four stars once I get more space from it, but, like, just initially I rated it as three, and I think a lot of that has to do with just me not being really excited about reading it, even though it was good. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna give it a three. <gasps> three threes. <laughs> um Damn y'all. I don't really know that I know how to articulate it either, but I just like wasn't that excited. That's what I said. That's what it. I said. 
I don't know. I, that's, I'm trying not to say the same fucking thing that you both just said. Susan, but. now I'm one. I'm wondering now, like, because we both did the audiobook, like, is it something about the audiobook that just, like, wasn't exciting? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've gotten through a lot worse audiobooks. Like, I don't think the audio... I don't know. Some books do work better not when you read them too, yeah. but and maybe this is one of those. But um, I mean, I think there are parts of it that I got more into. Like the I don't know why, but the assassination scene sticks out to me so much. Like I thought that was really well written. Um, like I think she writes both action and character stuff really well, but I don't know. I just, like, wasn't... I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't like, I can't wait to find out what's going to happen. And so, like, I'm giving it a three based on feelings. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good reason? I think part of it for me is I enjoyed my time reading the book. Like, once I picked it up and started reading... When I finished reading for that sitting, I would be like, oh, I enjoyed that. But I, something about like, and Kelly, you compared it to Roma as being sort of like meditative and wandering. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, I didn't feel compelled by that mood. I felt like it wasn't in a way that I like to be in like the books that I write. That I read. But then at the end, yeah, it's zero highly. to a hundred. Like, oh yeah, the end was pretty. Uh, yeah. Wait, what? You know. <laughs> um, I liked it though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I do wish I could, as usual, wish I could give a half because I would go, I would round like yeah, upward too. rather than down in that case. But Kelly, uh, I said it's probably more of a four star yeah. read. I might go back and change it eventually. I'm just. I'm just mm-hmm. me and books right now. I don't know what's going on. I need, I need that book that's gonna like get me out of this funk. You know, I don't know what that's gonna be, but I will let you guys know when it happens. Maybe it's because I was also reading another book at the same time, and I liked that book a lot more. What book? <laughs> mm. What were you reading? The likeness. Um, oh, yes, yeah, girl. I finally finished it, but I was reading that and listening. I to love this that book. One. And there's a little overlap there. so And also, it it's, like, not yeah. fair to compare Timing. your excitement to pick up a book like this to a mystery. <laughs> it is for some people, but, like, like you said, this is extremely your shit. Like, Tana French is extremely my shit. The so. likeness is a really good no, book, No, but what though. I'm saying is, like, like you're... I feel like you're going to be more compelled is one of my to pick up a mystery ones. because you want to yeah. know what's ha- what happens, you know? Not always, though. Yeah. I guess pretty so. shitty mysteries I was like willing to DNF, but look, I'm just saying the likeness is is top tier mystery material. Yeah, it was really good. I I mean, it, this could have been a timing thing for me, honestly, but yeah, yeah, three. Well, that's fine. Whatever, you guys. I don't care. Girl, I, I liked it. I said I was gonna give it a four. I would tell later. people to read it. Yeah, which I, think I have is, told people to like, read says it. Says more than a star rating does. Yeah. Yeah, there's other stuff we've read that I actively tell people do not fucking read that. But yeah. do listen to our podcast about it. 
Is it the couple next door? <laughs> no, it's super extra grande. Yeah. <laughs> I plugged our podcast today in class, actually, because we were reading a, a Rachel Cog short story. And um, our teacher was like, has anyone read Goodbye Vitamin? And I was like, I have. And she was like, what'd you think? And I was like, I really didn't like it. If you want to hear more about that, listen to oh our podcast. God. Spoilers to follow. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Spoiler, I did I did tell them about the zucchini oh, moon. I did talk about that a little bit because I was like, what you need to know is there's a zucchini moon and I'm not here for it. Um, anyway. So yeah, that's our ratings. If you read this book along with us, we would love to hear what you thought. Please send us an email at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com. Jesus Christ. Um... <laughs> The dot Try squad. it again. Do it the again. Squad at booksquadgoals.com. Beautiful. Or, you know, comment on our social media where we beg you and plead you. I mean, we let us know, we know people are listening. We can see that you're listening. So, like, write in. <laughs> We're watching you. We're watching. Yeah. We're watching you listen right, right now. now. And all the time I talk to people who are like, yeah, I just never really write in to pop. But I, I listen and I'm like... <gasps> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't You're like. I need more from. I you. don't write into podcasts more from you. either. But well, I wrote into film spotting. Right now, and they, and they read you my could thing. also write in about Captain Marvel, which I know a bunch of y'all saw. So. Yes, can we have Susan's corner where she tells us what she thinks about Captain Marvel? Oh yes. yeah. What do you think about Captain Yay. Marvel? Susan Corner. Susan's corner. Guys, I loved it. Yay. Um. That was a great corner. All right. No, I, I'm just teasing. Go ahead. No, <laughs> no, I, um, I'm not a big superhero movie gal. Um, like I'll go if we're going to talk about it, but like every time there's a new one, I do not rush out to see it. That's and fair. I feel like, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like a lot of people do, especially with like, I really like Guardians of the Galaxy, but yes. like I haven't seen a single Avengers movie. And I know that Emily, you, I know how you feel about them. But I know a lot of people that love them and are, like, so excited every time one comes out. At the end of this movie, when I saw that Captain Marvel was going to be in the next one, I said, I will go back and watch the other ones <laughs> if it means <laughs> yeah, I can, like, same. catch up and understand what's going on when she gets yes. there because I'm about that. Yes. So this has, like, made me want to see other ones I have had zero interest in so far. So, Yeah. Uh, I really, really liked it. I was pleasantly surprised. Yay. I thought I was going to be underwhelmed. So, yay. Awesome. What were your thoughts on Goose? Yeah, what do you think about Goose? <laughs> I loved Goose. Okay, good. I want a Clerken. Is he, <laughs> not is a cat. Goose I want one be, of those. Yeah, I bet you're is not Goose allergic gonna to Goose going to be in them. Avengers? I think so, probably. Goose is too I good so. to be... Avengers. I also, I really like, I'm surprised how much I liked Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson in this. Too. Yeah. Like, because at first I, I was like. I think everyone was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, um, I'm a firm believer that Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is the third one, is the best Die Hard, and he's in that. And so I do have a. Yo, I haven't you know, seen any of the Die Hard movies. That, where I love him, but. I haven't either, but I know that that is a controversial Just opinion. Just skip to the I third one. <laughs> watched the first Die Hard movie very recently with Todd. Neither of us had seen it, and we watched it a hundred percent 
because it is mentioned all the time on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. All I know is, like... Yes, that's kind of where like, I want to watch doesn't it. Doesn't he say, like, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, or something like that? That's all I know. Uh-huh. Yes, but if you watch it on television, which I did growing up, <laughs> you will get a really great dub of that where he says on TBS, yippee-ki-yay, mother friend. Mother friend? Yes. Mother? <laughs> oh my god. It's my all-time favorite curse edit <laughs> that I've ever heard. <laughs> Man, maybe one day see, in the future I mean, we'll do like, a die-hard die die other stuff. So his mouth is still saying fucker, like, really clearly. And it's like, friend. <laughs> so. That is... Like, why wouldn't you at least come up with a dub that makes sense in some universe? Because TBS is like, friend starts with an F, so... I don't know. It, Who cares about the like, like, If you're fucking a mom, you're kind of her friend, right? With a benefit. Right. So. And they couldn't cut the Mother line entirely Fondler. because it's too iconic because it's in every single one. So, like, or it's in all the ones I've seen anyway. I can't oh, remember that. I didn't too. even know that. I thought maybe it was just in the first one. And it's I definitely know. in the third one also, but I don't know about the second one. Susan would know because she's seen the third one at least 20 times. I really have seen the third one. A lot. <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, it used to come on TV a lot, and my friend Ashley and I, Ashley is also the one that I used to watch 90210 with, so I didn't get to talk about Luke Perry last time either, um, oh, but yeah. I just wanted to say how much I love Luke Perry, and it's very sad about that, and so yeah. I didn't get to talk to you guys about it. Anyway, I won't make I mean, this you did in text message, one. but not in yeah. the Yeah, I know, but like I heard, I was listening to the podcast, like, oh. Yeah. R.I.P. So, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is all to say I loved Captain Marvel. I loved I Heard with the Vengeance, and I love Luke Perry. Yay. These are Yay. That's great. And now I guess Susan's I have to watch corner. Avengers. So Those are Susan's likes. <laughs> yeah. listener feedback just kidding nobody fucking sent us any listener feedback so shame <laughs> on you Mother what's friends. on the blog but if you have listener feedback about captain marvel please write in i just want to know please do it in the doc it says listener feedback frowny face <laughs> frowny face also if you have any listener feedback on your favorite diehard movie we'll take that too yeah absolutely for really if you have feedback stop on anything stop soliciting unrelated listener feedback susan this is just like weekend at bernie's it's not unrelated <laughs> it's not unrelated because we talked about it on the podcast also i mean no but i still weekend at bernie's you're welcome to talk about that too also listen- do you want us to do another episode about die hard let us know that would be kind of fun actually and or weekend at bernie's yeah one and two <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got to include just two. Two sucks. Only no, one. no, we got to include the blog? two. What's on the blog? What's on the blog? Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, Riverdale's still on the blog. And I'm super amped. At the time of recording this, <laughs> the Riverdale musical episode has just aired. The recap. By the time you're listening to this, our recap will be two days away from happening. One day. No, the recap came out yesterday. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> it keeps getting closer but and closer. The more the we talk about episode it. episode recap is up. But as of now, in the past, 
before I have watched the musical episode, I'm very excited. I might, ch- you know, see if I change my mind. I can't wait for you to be disappointed. Are you going to compare <laughs> it to the Buffy musical episode? No, I mean, it's kind no, of a different because thing. because the Buffy because musical episode is on another level. They're putting on a play in their school, which, like, I just want to note that no high school would let their students perform the Heathers musical. Like, no. they just wouldn't. That was like when, that was like some show, I think it was like the new 90210 or something like that, where they were doing Spring Awakening, and I was like, no, no. At high school, I don't think so. It seems that there is no faculty involved in the decision making about the musical. It's basically just Kevin shows up at Cheryl's house, and Cheryl's like, thanks for coming. I just wanted to let you know that we're doing the Heather's musical, and I'm playing Heather Chandler. (laughs) And he's like, no, we're doing... The farm Jesus is sponsoring musical, and we're doing no, we're doing Godspell. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh Godspell. They and should do like, Joseph no, and the Heathers. Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's what they should do. <laughs> I'm amped because I love the Heather's musical. I love Heather's the movie. I have not seen or listened too. to the Heather's musical. I have not seen the musical either. But but yeah, I I am sure the episode will disappoint me. Um, because the Carrie episode is extremely disappointing. We also have, in recap land, uh, Survivor recap. Hmm. Woo! This week on Survivor, or this past recap, Edge of Extinction. Edge of Extinction! It was a double episode, and we spent a long time when I was in my fledgling survivor watching of me comparing survivor to the bachelor mm-hmm. so they have a lot of similarities and todd was like survivor would never have a two-hour episode <laughs> well 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 how the tables have turned how the turntables <laughs> <laughs> but survivor recaps are still happening if you've never watched survivor i encourage you to read a recap and see how buck wild it is. True. <laughs> it's very good. The speaking recaps, of two hour never watch TV that show. shows. Yeah, speaking of four hours of television <laughs> just dragging For out no reason. what should have been 20 minutes, uh, <laughs> our last um, Bachelor recap was last week. And uh, if you haven't gone back to look at it, go check it out. Um, yeah, guess what, guys? I won. Woo! Shocking, since you were ahead almost the entire time, except for like one episode. Really? Um, no, I think I'm not know. bitter. Um, yeah, this Look, show really limped across the finish line, but I feel like we went out with a bang. So we really did. So you should go check it out. If, and we will. If you don't want to watch the four hours of the Bachelor finale, just read our recap. You'll get it all is, you need. Honest to and God, more. maybe. 25 minutes of actual footage yeah <laughs> in yes. four hours so like don't fucking bother that's what no. i'm saying but yeah. do come back for bachelorette because we'll yes and i heard that they announced the men so i'm guessing that our first impressions <gasps> post is going to be up soon it's so much more fun doing those for the bachelorette than it is for the bachelorette yes i know i'm so excited i don't feel bad bad making I fun know, of I know, I always feel mean when we do it to the women, but <laughs> yeah. to the men, I'm like, they all look horrible, and The women, why. I yeah. specifically try not to say anything mean about their appearance, 
the men, yeah. I don't give a fuck. No, with the it's men, I'm like, he looks all. like a racist. <laughs> yeah. What is that haircut? Yeah. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I love The Bachelorette. And then the best thing about The Bachelorette is, like, you don't even get a break. Right away, you go into BIP, and it's just, like, yeah. shenanigans. It's a wild ride until, like, from from May until, like, July, August. So Yeah. We're, I'm so ready for it. I'm just prepping right now. I'm doing my Bachelorette sit-ups to get in shape for these recaps. You know, I'm ready to go. Ready to go. Um, what else is on the block? I have a post about art Instagrams. So mm-hmm. perhaps when you're scroll, perhaps when you're scrolling <laughs> through social media, <laughs> you notice that everything is a fucking shit storm, mm-hmm. and the world <laughs> is on fire. Maybe mm-hmm. sometimes you want a little bit of positivity injected into your feed. So, I am providing you with, uh, how many am I doing? Nine. I, eh, it might be ten. Ten or so of my favorite. Several. Fav- several of my favorite art Instagram, specifically illustrators 20. that I follow, um, who have just really great stuff. So, check out that post. Mm, I'm ready to follow all these people. Mary? Uh, yeah, I wrote a blog post about the new Hulu TV series, Shrill, which stars and was adapted by A.D. Wyant, A.D. Wyant, A.D. Bryant <laughs> of SNL. Um, <laughs> Lindy West also adapted it. She's the person who wrote the book that the show is based on. Anyway, I'm not explaining this well. We are falling apart. <laughs> the point is, mm-hmm. I love A.D. Bryant even more after watching Shrill. I really enjoyed the show and I have some thoughts about how the show fits into body positivity and representation of fat women on TV. But I really enjoyed it and would encourage others to watch it and read my review. Yeah. I also want every piece of clothing A.D. Bryant wears in that show. But unfortunately, <laughs> most of it was custom made for her. If only we all had our own custom tailor. Yeah. Right. Um, I wrote about season three of True Detective. That's up there now. Coming soon. A post about another HBO joint, the um, Elizabeth Holmes documentary. I just started watching that today. I am goddamn obsessed with this story. I'm also listening to the book about it right Here's now. Here's a question. So, I'm going to have a lot to say about Elizabeth Holmes. Here's a question Holmes I have for soon. you that you might be able to answer because you're more into this story than I am. Why does she talk like that? I think to sound more authoritative. That's all I can gather. It's definitely an affectation. That's not a real voice. So okay. Because <laughs> I've heard she sounds like every white. Yeah, I've heard books of her not read. sounding like that at all. So it's it's weird. Anyway, <laughs> that's coming soon. <laughs> you should probably go watch it though. Just telling you now. This information about her voice alone is enough to make me want to watch it. Yeah, for real. It is the Fire Festival of Silicon Valley. <laughs> nice. I finally watched those Fire Festival uh, documentaries while I was in New Zealand. Um, 
Because I, you know, I was like, I'm in New Zealand. I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> but I did watch them. Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> uh, pretty great. <laughs> pretty great. Pretty good. I just, I just love seeing rich Instagram influencers get fucked in the ass. Like that, I could watch that all day. I think that's why <laughs> everyone watched those documentaries. <laughs> yes. This is great. Um, oh, so blogs coming up. Um, I'm going to write a blog about us. Mary may or may not come along with me on that journey. Yeah. But I'm committing. I'm seeing the movie on Friday. So hope, you know, we will not be seeing it that. together. Nice. I'm sad because I'm going Wednesday and I would have liked to participate in this blog. Well, you can't. That's too late. I'm going to just write a really long comment. <laughs> You're just going to write another blog yeah. post about it next week. Re-Emily's Us post. Um, What's up next? Oh, man. Let me tell you. It's Pet Cemetery. I am oh. so excited. I'm scared. <laughs> it's going to be so scary. I'm so scared right now. I'm scared. Yeah. We're going to be watching the new adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, which reminds me I need to start listening to that book ASAP because I, you guys don't have to, but I really want to. How long is the book? Oh, so long. Oh, man. Let me see. Let me check for you. <laughs> it's but, not just long. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not long. It's oh, so long. I mean, it's Stephen King. His so books are either extremely Stephen long King or like long. Really you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, oh, it's only 374 pages? Yeah. Is that right? Oh, that's not that bad. 374? Man, I thought it was, like, long. Wow, it's like a regular length novel. Yeah. Yeah, usually with him so, it's either 150 meter. pages or 1,500. Yeah, pages. so I'm going to... I'm going to listen to it because Michael C. Hall narrates it. I know I've mentioned that before. I guess this is the one tweener. Maybe I'll listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, So that's next. Um, If you don't know what that's about, then like, what the hell is wrong with you? Come on. It's Stephen King. It's Pet Cemetery. It's scurry. You can pretty much figure it out from those two descriptors if you haven't seen it. Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. What do you think is going to happen? So... Some scary shit. There's an Indian burial pet ground. Cemetery. You know. Some dead pets coming back. That's what happens. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> it's gonna be scary. Um, <laughs> I'm so scared. Also, yeah. on, the next, on the next book episode, and I have the book here, I got a copy of it in um, New Zealand, so the cover's different. Um, I thought that could be cool for our Instagram to have two different covers to post. True, so but that's why I did that. This cover, Ooh, our cover is. is better. I have to say, yeah, it is. But I mean, like, it's still cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm not going to read this whole yeah. back cover to you. But basically, um, it's sort of this What's weird the book take. Oh, I didn't say. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Gingerbread by. Helen Oyeyemi, um, who has also written a lot of other books, like White is for Witching, which I've been meaning to read for years and haven't. So instead of picking that one, I just picked her new one. 
um, so I can buy a new book. Um, but yeah, it's gingerbread. Um, and it just, just came out and, uh, it's basically like a take on like the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale, but, um, contemporary and I'm assuming a lot darker and, uh, yeah, but there's magical gingerbread in it. Um, and I'm excited. I'm also a little nervous because I've heard it's super weird. So I'm like, I hope it's good weird and not like annoying weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love weird. Yeah, but I'm, I'm very hopeful, um, and excited because I love a good, like, fairy tale reference. I love fairy tales in my literature. So yeah. Cool. Woo! That's what we got. Uh, as always, please. Find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it now and leave us a rating five stars only and review. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be like these bitches and give us three stars, okay? Be like me and give us five stars. Um, not not even maybe four stars. No, not even maybe four stars. No, I mean, give us whatever rating you think we deserve. But if you're... Honestly, if you're still listening at this point, I feel like maybe you could give us five. Because uh, if you but weren't going up to, to five. you probably would have stopped. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, you can follow us on social media at Goals on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Please do that and send us emails at the squad at BookSquadGoals.com. BookSquadGoals.com is our website. Booksquadgoals.com booksquadgoals.com slash blog is our blog. Do all of those things. <laughs> Guys, you want to hear something <laughs> fucked up? Yeah. Yeah. I just now rated us. <laughs> Susan? What? I wrote a review a long time Susan, ago. Susan, you're never, part of the problem. It, it didn't have the stars filled in for some reason. Oh my god. I just want to tell you guys that I just got a text from Ivan that said, oh my god, I just realized that Queer Eye is a reboot of Queer Eye for the straight guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my god, he's a baby. What a baby. Tell him I said he's a baby. <laughs> Alright. Uh, I'm gonna name this episode Is Eggplant a Berry? Just so you guys know. Good. I've, Good. Already, I've Good. already decided. <laughs> um, cool. That's it. Bye, everyone. Bye.